You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. My name is Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm here with Kelsey Gannett, who is going to tell us about her journey to reinvention and all of the really cool insights and lessons that she's learned along the way. We've got a lot of great questions to ask her. But before we kick things off with all of those questions in the interview, I want to hear from Kelsey. Kelsey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Help us get to know you, the big picture of your story, if you will. Hi, I'm Kelsey Gannett. I am a current teacher in Northern Virginia. I am a retired softball player. I played collegiate softball and recently transitioned into the coaching field. I've run two different businesses. One is 21 Outs, which is my in-person softball coaching business. And then the other one, which is now my current passion project, is called The Retired Athlete Coach. I'm super passionate about providing athletes with some actionable steps of what they can expect and look forward to as they transition away from their athletic organizations. I love it. You've got your one, we connect on the teacher thing for sure. I did not <laughs> yep. play, I did not play softball, but <laughs> I did teach in the classroom. When I discovered that about you, I thought very cool. It's nice to just have a fellow teacher in the podcast room, if you will. So really excited. Thank you so much for sharing that, like just that high level overview, but Let's jump right in. So my favorite question to ask, and this is such an important question on the journey to reinvention, is around success and definitions of success, how people interpret it, what people think, how they define it. So let's start with your definition. What's your definition of success today? My definition of success today is really all about balance. About five years ago, if you asked me this question, I would have told you it was about winning. I had a really big idea that in order to be happy, I needed to win. And for me, what that looked like was burning myself out in in my career and also making as much money as I possibly could while also really being a chronic people pleaser. And today, my definition of success is based on just feeling that fulfillment without really having it hinge on the achievement of that, what we would call winning. So success is just something that like it feels easy and isn't something I need to spend a lot of time burning myself out for or anything else. And that's really where my definition is right now. I know it'll change as I continue to explore this whole aspect of my life, but it is, that's where we're at right now. (laughs) That's, I love what you said about the key distinction, it sounds like, in the before and after to do with in the past, it hinged on something else. It was Mm -hmm. dependent on something else. If this, then success. Yep. And that was it. Like, and it has to be a win. And I I think a lot about this when it comes to athletes Mm -hmm. in terms of the higher you get in your sport, whatever that Mm -hmm. might be, 
the less likely it is based on this definition that Mm -hmm. you will be successful. Yes. When you think about, uh, you know, I often say like, I could make my goal, like if my goal is to win the World Cup, I like soccer, Mm -hmm. by the way, if my goal is to win the World Cup, there's only one cup. It happens every four years. Yep. And there's 32 teams and probably more, I think, at the next one Mm -hmm. who are fighting for that one trophy every four years. Yep. By by just pure mathematics, I am more likely to lose that attempt mm-hmm. <laughs> than to win it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not one of the top seeded countries, I'm almost guaranteed to not get there. Mm-hmm. And if if the only way I'm going to feel fulfilled is to your point is by winning the mm-hmm. cup, the World Cup, then then there goes fulfillment. For yep. a very long time, probably for the rest of my life. Yep. And so I feel like that is a really important distinction that you just made between what it used to be and what it is now. Mm-hmm. And now it sounds like it's something. I, I also feel like your old definition carried a lot of weight, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. Yeah. Tell me about that. Talk about pressure and yeah, and the role that played in your old definition. Pressure was something that I felt like I always needed in order to perform. So as an athlete, you're constantly being pushed to become better, right? And so Mm -hmm. without that push in life, when you have that moment where everything's okay, like you're paying your bills, you're doing all right, but nobody's like telling you like, okay, so the next step in how to make yourself this person or this version of anything how they do with sports when you don't have that moment and you don't have the that pressure of, hey, you need to perform, you need to do all of this. There's very much a moment, at least for me, where I was like, what do I do now? Because nobody's telling me, nobody's done anything to teach me about all of these things. And my whole life, all I wanted to do was just throw a yellow ball. That's all I wanted. And so now what do I do without the pressure of a coach or the pressure of a boss that's pushing me to perform because I performed very well within my job and continue to. And who am I without somebody constantly being like, you're not good enough, you need to keep going. And so that was a really complex work for me that I had to do that really centered on really removing my sense of happiness and achievement from that pressure because I can work incredibly well under pressure. And I always had coaches that really enjoyed pushing me to that end. But Mm -hmm. it is not long-term good for my mental health or for myself to continuously live in that fight or flight mode that I was taught is where I'm most productive. So Mm -hmm. really pulling myself away from that was really important because I I couldn't live like I was going to strike everybody out for the rest of my life because it's just not sustainable. I tried for about two years. It didn't work at all. So really just peeling that back and taking all of the societal pressure, like it didn't matter where I was as far as if I was married or if I had anything else. It didn't, that really was something that I really spent a lot of time on. And so trying to peel back away from the achievement of what I thought that everybody else was achieving was super, super important to me. So I went through like a whole phase where I basically was like, where everybody else is where they are, where I am is completely okay. And I just need to let that be. And winning for me in life looks a thousand times different than what it did when I retired from softball. And I love that. Like, I'm super excited about it. Wow. What you said reminds me a lot about 
I don't know if you remember the story. I think it was a 1980 or 1981 ad that Nike had. It's like one of their famous ads of the solo runner on that road. And it basically just talks about the the story being something along the lines of that, the, that that person is not competing against anybody else except for themselves. It's really yeah. against me. It's what my definition of competition or success mm-hmm. or whatever is. And it's me against me. And it's cool. Yeah. Like I am where I am and that's where mm-hmm. it is. And I will hopefully be a little bit further mm-hmm. whenever and I'll keep on striving for that. But it's against me. I don't have to worry about other people or yeah. anything like that. I think it's like a really beautiful message, but it's it, it doesn't take away the drive to do mm-hmm. something and to achieve something. It's simply yeah. saying that I don't have to wait for somebody else to be the mm-hmm. one to yell at me and tell me what to do or to tell me I'm not good enough or I'm not doing this well enough or whatever, that I can also do that mm-hmm. for me in my own way, at my own pace based on what's right for me and what I want, mm-hmm. ultimately, I would say is like yeah. really what matters. That That's really empowering. And you, I was going to ask, and you already answered it, like that that past one versus the present. And so as you think about the current one, then let's go mm-hmm. back to the current one. What, what, how do you, how does that show up for you in life? Like how do, how does that show up maybe on a day-to-day basis, that mm-hmm. mindset around what your definition of success is, how does that show up for you? I think it's in the freedom and allowing myself to... So as you noticed in my intro, there's three things I'm doing almost always. And I think that's one of the big things that I missed about sports is you're always multitasking. You always have a schedule. You always have things that kind of dictate your day-to-day life. And so I think for me, it's the freedom to be and like I can go over and teach and I can do all of those things. And I think it shows up in the fact that I am a wonderful multitasker, but I also really know when I can't multitask. So there's times where I solely focus on soul, on things that have to do with my specific businesses or things that have obviously during my workday when I'm teaching, I'm solely focused on that. So I think it really is in the ease and the balance of knowing I know what's next in my day, but I've decided that nobody else has. And so I think that's the freedom of being able to flow from thing to thing is really important. And that's how it shows up for me is just like in a balance and freedom and flow of it. No, I love that. And I think that's a really important distinction about Mm -hmm. multitasking. I often say I always go default to the neuroscience and that Mm -hmm. multitasking is impossible. Like our brain is not wired for that. But at the same time, there is this idea that you can multitask on very low level tasks. Mm-hmm. It really depends. And you have to decide which ones are the most high impact tasks, mm-hmm. the ones that are really the most important. Those are not the ones that benefit from it. And hearing you talk about how you choose very deliberately where you multitask and where you're like, nope, this is mm-hmm. getting all of my focus and all of my attention. And I'm going to go all in on this and do mm-hmm. it all the way. And I think that's a really important or, or really valuable practice for how it shows up for you Mm -hmm. in practice on a Mm -hmm. day-to-day basis when you're trying to live your most successful version, right? Of how you do things. And I think that's a key idea that listeners can take away as far as like how they make those decisions. This Mm -hmm. is not as important. Happy to stack up a few of these at the same time. Mm -hmm. This is, and this deserves my full attention. So it must get my full attention. Really important there. Let's talk about moments on the journey, like when you felt, wow, after what just happened, life will never be the same. Mm-hmm. You know, like a moment that just changed everything for you. Maybe the way you look at things, the way you experience things. 
maybe the way you look at success or your mm-hmm. goals or whatever it might be, what was a moment in your life where you knew that this life will never be the same again? This moment is based on when I realized at one point in 2019 that I was broke. I had really struggled with getting hired as a teacher within my county. And I realized that I needed about $200 in order to like make it make my ends meet and everything else between rent and student loans and everything. So I did this crazy thing in my local area. I posted a picture of me in my softball uniform and I said basically, hey, does anybody need coaches? How do I, what is this kind of, what does this look like within this area? And what ended up happening through a very crazy, really serendipitous moment is I ended up coaching two different athletes. And at the time, I had fought tooth and nail. Every single person who had asked me to coach or do anything with athletes, I'd really fought it and said, I wasn't the best athlete. It's not really worth it. Like, I don't think I can coach or I don't think I'm really worthy of that like title. And so at this point, I decided to start coaching two different athletes. And within like, I'm telling you probably three weeks, I was hooked. I was like obsessed with working with young girls. They were amazing. Um, The things we were talking about was I basically became the coach that I needed when I was their age. And they were very similar aged, very similar interests to me. And I just felt so incredibly seen by these young women. And it ended up that I ended up working and ending up like finding a local organization around me that has some of the best people I've ever met. And it's so funny to think about that moment of just posting that photo because it didn't happen fast by any means. Like it was like almost six months later that I ended up entering the coaching field. And it's really interesting to think about that person who decided to make that leap and how it looked like because that caused just a huge ripple effect for me. I started prioritizing understanding my mental health. I started prioritizing working out and going back into the fitness realm because that had been also been something I didn't want to really spend a lot of time with. And as an athlete, I had a lot of feelings about it. So walking back into a softball field for the first time as a coach was so freeing because nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew my reputation as a player. I had moved about seven hours away from my hometown. Nobody knew me. And walking into that all because of one silly little Facebook ad, like the people who I work with now were at my wedding. They were the athletes that I work with are people that like I continuously have conversations with. I see them all the time. Like they are my core, my family now. And so for them to be a part of that just because of a really a thing that it should have been nothing (laughs) just posting that photo. Right. But it really was the moment that I was like, this could change everything or everyone could just think I'm a joke. And so I think it was really fun and it's a really cool serendipitous moment where I knew that it was never going to be the same, but I was so down for it. Like I was into it. I was like, let's see it. Let's change this whole thing. Let's flip this narrative about finances. Let's see if I can call my own bluff and see if I can actually be a coach. And so I did. And that was really cool. That is, I I love that story. Wow. 
I could see how, especially after the outcome, you knew, knew like life will never be the same. Now that mm-hmm. I know this, now that I know it's possible, mm-hmm. I can do this anytime. And I think what is important for listeners and maybe a takeaway for them is that the power of taking these, making these attempts, like you got to take chances and you Mm -hmm. just got to put stuff out there. And it doesn't guarantee that you'll hear back in a day, a week, a month, or five months. It took Mm -hmm. six months. Mm -hmm. I think about my my ex-wife when she wanted to pivot into law Mm -hmm. and she had a degree in zoology and wanted to pivot into law. And so she wanted to, one of the early strategies she wanted to, to test out was getting an internship at a law firm. She figured this will just help her. It's a step and it's one. And, but it seemed, is this doable? I have a zoology degree. Mm-hmm. I did no pre-law. I have none of that. I'm not even in law school. So mm-hmm. it's like, why would they even hire me? And she, I think it was something like 30 calls that she made to law mm-hmm. firms before, I think it was the 30th or the 31st that said, I'll meet with you. And, or I actually, not even that, heard her whole story. Like her most just hung up on her or, they, mm-hmm. um, or they're not interested before she could even finish her words. Mm-hmm. Um, this one actually heard the whole story and then said, I'll see you, like, let's talk. And then took it there and it became something. But, and so it doesn't happen on the first one. It doesn't always happen on the second mm-hmm. or the third. But if you don't put it out there, if you don't try, if you don't make those calls, mm-hmm. you're never going to find out. And I think that is one of the most empowering things to do, to know and learn. And it comes from, to your point, putting that picture out there on Facebook, even though yeah. it seemed probably a little crazy or silly or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. at the time. But it showed you that there we go. I just unlocked a level in life and can't go back from this. Yeah. <laughs> can't go back from this. Now that I know this and I love it's so beautiful that you said that people you've met on the on that journey since mm-hmm. then were part of your wedding and they've become dear friends and they've mm-hmm. become important things and all that. That's just beautiful. It's amazing that you've been able to connect with these people in such a powerful way. Speaking of so of empowering things that happen or beautiful things that happen, and then of course empowering actions like this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about beliefs. I want to talk about empowering beliefs. What's an empowering belief that you have? And I feel like this one obviously is one. So if you can give me another one, because uh, obviously you have a, a, an empowering belief around taking action mm-hmm. and just giving it a shot. So yeah. we got that one. What's another mm-hmm. empowering belief that you have? that's part of your operating system that you would give credit to and say, you know what, this makes a difference, you know, pretty regularly in my life. I think the biggest thing that I worked through and I have been working through is like change is not as scary as or as terrifying as you think it is. I was a big, like, I have been a like someone who fears that change. And now I find myself really leaning into it. And I think this is as yeah. you start to really experience those changes, you know, you like my story with softball kind of says, you just never know who's out there or what they want. Yeah. And, you know, you just never know what community is waiting for you just around the corner. And so I think that's really become really close to my heart to the point where now I'm like always the person that's like, oh it's changing like that sounds good like I'm good I'm easy with it like so that's always been one the other thing that I really work with when I talk about the retired athlete coach is that you can feel grief after an experience has come to an end and grieving that experience is completely and totally valid and I think just letting myself have that permission slip 
to really say, oh man, I'm a teacher. My summer just came to an end and I'm really sad that it's over, but I'm excited to meet my new students and now everything's going to move forward and it's really changing. I think that permission slip and allowing myself to do that has really been a game changer for me. And it's also allowed me to move through spaces that grief is something we all feel. And so it's really important that we start to really start that conversation. That's that's I I just want to acknowledge that I want to acknowledge that you called it a permission slip, which is so on brand with a teacher. Just saying. Super on brand. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I just had to say because I totally caught that when you said it. Uh, You know, but I and you know, as a teacher, like I totally get what you're saying about that end of the year Mm -hmm. moment. And I've, I have found myself at when I was leaving a school, let's say from mm-hmm. like all yeah. together as well, then or at the end of a school year, because we there's a pretty big break. So obviously, we're going to be out for a while. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy those moments. Like I yeah. allow myself to enjoy those feelings that and let the tears let them mm-hmm. please come. I hope there's more because yeah. they feel good. And they feel mm-hmm. good. I, the way I always see it is, I say to myself that if I have these tears for this, if I have these emotions for this, it's because it mattered. It's mm-hmm. because it meant something. Yeah. And for me, that's like the signal. That's mm-hmm. how I know that it meant something to me. Otherwise, I, it, at least for me, I know everyone's a little bit different in terms of when they might show emotion. But if I'm not showing that, meh, maybe it was just okay. Yeah. Maybe still nice and important, just not yeah. you know, as much as something like teaching when I'm leaving a class or I'm leaving mm-hmm. a group of students that I obviously came to be close with. So I appreciate you sharing that. Let's go to the other side of mm-hmm. the of that. And let's talk about a disempowering belief, a limiting belief, maybe something that you're working through right now that holds you back. What's a belief that you would say is something that's holding you back? I definitely, so like I think about this in two different terms. So in the past, I definitely felt like I wouldn't fe- ever really feel happiness without being an athlete. And so now I'm challenging that by regularly going to the gym and doing some stuff like that, where I'm an athlete in a different facet, just because I'm not an athlete in a collegiate organization does not mean that I'm any less of it. And so I'm challenging that narrative and really just calling my own bluff and being like, okay, so are the guys that go and lift or do CrossFit, are they not athletes or anything like that? And so really just challenging that conversation and those beliefs are really important to me right now. So that's definitely the one that's holding me back. And the other one that I did have before was that I needed to treat my job like it was a sport. So with teaching, I needed to like, I had that win mentality, but I also had this mentality that it needed to be my life and it couldn't just be something that I did, it needed to be everything I did. Previously, what I would do is spend a lot of time at my school or anything like that, really not having that work-life balance. And now, right now, as a teacher, I spend a lot of time just being like, okay, contract's up. I have everything I need prepped for the next day. Now it's time to move forward and move on to the next aspect of my life because that's what makes me happy is having all of those different aspects of my life make me super happy and having that duality or sometimes three different things going on is really something that makes me excited. Having all of those things and making and keeping that in mind is really important to me. I think that belief of going all in on something is an interesting one that you count as one of the 
the limiting ones or one of the less empowering ones because it could easily be seen as the empowering one, yep. as like the the good one to have, right? The yep. one that puts you all in on something. But to your point, to the detriment of your relationships, of your family, yep. of your friendships, of your health, of other areas in your life. Mm-hmm. And that that's really interesting. I feel like there's a lot of things out there that we have been taught to subscribe to and mm-hmm. they sound good actually yeah. they, they really sound like good things like things like when people say winners never quit yeah. right that sounds like a really good mm-hmm. thing oh my god that's brilliant yeah winners never quit so i can't yep. quit something that's causing me a great deal of pain and that is ruining my life no i mm-hmm. can't quit that because winners never quit and yeah. i don't want to be a loser winner and if then i have the mindset like you mentioned that I've got to be a winner in everything I do, then I got to stick with this thing. Even if I hate it, I no mm-hmm. longer care about it, but I got to stick with it. And then, then there goes the mental health and the balance yep. and all of these other things. And I, and so I thought it was interesting that you, you called that out as your limiting belief. And I hear you there. I feel like I've had that on the journey where mm-hmm. I almost felt like it was the only way to reinvent yourself is to go all in on the next chapter because you have so much catching up to do. So it seems, right? Like it makes sense. Like I got a lot of catching up to do. I'm going up against people who chose this field Mm -hmm. way long ago. And like they knew it in high school or college and they majored in the right things and I'm trying to play catch up. So I better go all in. A marriage suffered for me and Mm -hmm. relationships, friendships suffered. And Mm -hmm. I paid the price for doing Mm -hmm. that. I learned very much the hard way that, yeah, what you said, it is a disempowering belief. Yeah, I call it suffer culture. It's the idea that anything good can't come to us unless we put our blood, sweat, and tears into it. And yes, you definitely need to work hard in order for whatever you want to come to you, but you don't need to sacrifice absolutely everything in order to reinvent yourself. I think you there isn't a moment where things fall to the ground or anything else, but I think that idea that it's almost like a pleasure with the pain mentality that's really niche for athletes. There's always, you're lifting and so it has to, there has to be a little bit of soreness or you're doing any of that. And I think that's really a hard mentality to get out of and have a healthy relationship with work or finances or anything because at a certain point we get stuck in this, like it always needs to be more. It always needs to be like a little bit of a suffer. And so pushing that boulder uphill, the boulder becomes heavier and it's harder to Mm. hold on to and make sure it doesn't squash you because mine squashed me a bunch of times. So let's talk about guiding angels. It's a topic that I talk about in my book, The Journey Mm -hmm. to Reinvention. I actually dedicate an entire chapter. What would have normally been acknowledgements, I refer to it as guiding angels because I felt like they deserve a chapter in my Uh, little section at the end that no one reads. And so in the guiding angels, I highlighted people that came into my life, some of them for an hour, some for a day, some for a week, a month, a year, maybe 10 years or more, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. The thing they all had in common is that they moved the barrier. Maybe they removed the barrier or they made something happen for me. They opened the door. They planted a seed. Mm-hmm. Something they did that I, that I can't say that my journey would have been the same or I would be exactly where I am today if not for what they did for me. Or maybe it would have taken longer. And that's what I think of as a guiding angel. Maybe somebody who supports you along the way, somebody who who is just your rock, whatever it might be. And there's many, no doubt. Tell us about one of your guiding angels on the journey. Um, so one of my guiding angels was definitely I. So when I started my softball business, I was terrified. I had no idea what an LLC was. I didn't know 
taxes. That was terrifying. Oh my gosh, what the heck? So I started a mentorship and my mentor at the time was talking to me about all the grief I felt about um, leaving softball and how I felt like there was unfinished business and everything else. And she turned to me and she said, you know, that's called an energetic death, right? And I was like, what? The who to what? Like, what is an energetic death? What are you talking about? And so she went on to explain that energetic death is a term that's used loosely in the metaphysical community to talk about what you do with your energy when you have an experience come to an end. And I was like, oh my God, that's me right now. Like, how are we doing this and all this stuff? And so this mentor has worked with me for the last five years on really just understanding and redefining myself without centering around anything I do. And I still struggle, but she's always been such a wonderful human that holds space for me in in so many different ways and has further explored this process with me like beyond anything. So she's really done a wonderful, a great deep dive into redefining myself without sports. And I just think of her, she's literally like a guiding angel. I call the people in my life that kind of have always been there, lighthouse people, because you see them along the way and the waves may crash and you may only see them in passing, but you do see them that way. So she's definitely one of those people that we talk about. Wow. I love that. And it sounds like this moment that you just described with this person is also probably one of those life will never be the same again now that you know this idea. And I think we'll talk about this later in one of my other questions. This has become a big idea in your life now, one that may pave the way for many years to come. So we'll talk about that uh, shortly. Tell me a little bit about how romantic relationships played a role in your journey so far, specifically like this, your reinventions. And it could go one of two ways. One, it could be how did your journey to reinvention affect relationships or the other way around? How do Mm -hmm. relationships affect your journey to reinvention? So uh, we'll answer both of them at the same time, basically. (laughs) But the first is So um, when I retired from softball, I was dating someone and they actually, I'm just going to do a trigger warning. I'm not sure how you do this stuff, but I'm going to talk about someone having a near-death experience just so everyone knows if you feel like this is something that along your journey you may need to fast forward, just fast forward. You'll hear all of us talk again. But at this point, right after I had retired from softball, my partner that I thought I was going to marry had a near-death experience. And I did everything I could to help him. Literally, I thought when he had the near-death experience, I'm a teacher. We can figure this out. It'll be fine. And about six months after he had healed from that, so he had healed and everything was grand, he decided that we weren't going to be together anymore because of a variety of reasons, but mostly because both of us were not processing or dealing with the experience that had happened to us. And that was one of the moments that really triggered my reinvention because I was angry. I felt very much I had helped him through all these things. And I felt very much like he was just, this isn't working. Everything is not great. Bye, I got to go. And I was really frustrated with him. And that moment of really realizing that I'd spent all this time with someone And then we weren't together anymore. I redefined myself around him right after I had retired. And then when he stepped away, I was like, 
now I need to know who I am and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So that really triggered a reinvention, which about six months later, I would go to a summer camp in the Pocono Mountains and I would meet my now husband. So it ended up really, again, another serendipitous, very blessed moment. But it it really triggered a moment where I was like, I need to know who and what I am and what I want and how I want it. So when the person that I really do want to spend the rest of my life with walks through the door, I can look at them and be like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. It's not just the people that you're with or anything like that. Yeah, You have to just really take a moment and understand that. Wow. So we got to thank your ex for putting you in the path of (laughs) your husband, your now husband. But yeah, I I think that's a really, that's what an interesting story of how like a relationship impacted, not just like a reinvention, but also put you on a certain path that allowed you to meet the person who becomes your husband. Mm -hmm. I think this idea of relationships in the context of a reinvention are really interesting. When I talk to some of my clients and different people I've had the opportunity to interview, it's a very vulnerable time, mm-hmm. certain moments of, because you're choosing to go down a path that you have maybe no preparation for. And that's why we call it a reinvention. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a reinvention if I'm going from being a digital marketer to a mm-hmm. different kind of marketer. I'd yeah. be like oh, a small little adjustment. So I'm probably not panicking too much because I probably have some sort of marketing degree and that's cool. That's mm-hmm. fine. But we use these, we use the term reinvention for something like that. And naturally we're staring right into this gap we have mm-hmm. this thing we don't know yeah and it's when i think about this idea of like how we try to show up on first dates you gotta oh you gotta show your I best self you gotta seem confident you got your stuff together everything is figured out in life you're you're acting super cool and all of that i'm like well, none of that's gonna work for reinventors because those things are not you're not gonna feel that way a lot on the journey to reinvention and that's kind of part of the territory and yeah. it's also part of the part it's I think for me it's what makes it fun and rewarding is that clearly I'm stretching myself and don't I always want to stretch myself but then how do I meet people if I'm always stretching myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm always feeling like a little vulnerable and Mm -hmm. I think it's so I it's a really interesting topic because I've heard some people hold off and actually I was interviewing somebody earlier who was sharing with me like friends of his that he knows who during their reinvention said I'm not going to date anybody Because they thought that this is not the time because I don't really have, you know, steady income. I don't I'm not I don't have my stuff together professionally and all of that. But they're still cool people, probably. Like, it's like there's so much more to you than just a job. And yeah, but I get it. I get it, too. Like, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Mm -hmm. It's one that it's already scary enough, right, to go out on dates and connect and try to find a relation, build a relationship, I should say. Mm -hmm. That's tough and scary enough. To Mm -hmm. do it on a journey to reinvention, I think is really, it could seem even scarier. Yeah. And then to say, oh, I don't really want to do that anymore. Or I am really not interested in what we talked about the last time. It's very vulnerable and it's very hard to just be like, oh yeah, so I used to like this and now like, I realized I really don't. And so I'm sorry. So I think it was a blessing in disguise because I think without, I, I really firmly believe without my ex like having us having this whole thing that happened with us i don't think i would have ended up like why would i have gone to a summer camp in the pocono mountains other than to figure my life out that's where you go wow i think that 
my wife and I talk about this idea that you just mentioned is I think important about this. You could, we could seem like flaky around yeah. our goals yeah, because we're trying to figure it out. Obviously mm-hmm. we're in this stage where things may or may not be mm-hmm. as interesting as we thought they were, but there's only one way to find out. We mm-hmm. have to do them. And if you caught me in the moment when I'm doing it, I'm going to talk about it probably as if I'm super excited about it yeah. until I'm not. And then yeah. I'm going to have something else to say. My wife and I talk about this sometimes how I'll have certain ideas and then maybe I'll even set a goal around it. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit later, she doesn't really see me working on that mm-hmm. goal. And we've been together now for seven years, mm-hmm. or almost seven years. And when, but now she's seen like the full kind of how it all unfolds. And we've talked a lot about how, yeah, it's the, my goals, like ha- committing to these goals along the way, or just saying that I want to achieve these things is part of my process. And mm-hmm. it's part of, I think, the process to getting to the ones that matter. Mm-hmm. I had to, it's almost like I'm dating a whole bunch of goals. Yeah. Until I find the goal that I really yep. want to sink my teeth into for a while. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to spend time here. Yeah. I want to commit at mm-hmm. a deeper level to this one. And you'll probably see me stuck on this one for a while. Mm-hmm. But you had to put up with the other ones where I said, oh, I'm going to try this thing. I think this would be, this is going to be awesome. So much fun and all that. And then I barely try it and I'm already moving on. And yep. for me, this is part of the process to figuring out what I want. Mm-hmm. And I think, don't we say it's the same thing for relationships? We should we should go on many dates, right? We yep. should get to know many people mm-hmm. and get to know ourselves in the process so that we can th- make a better decision mm-hmm. when, and we know what we want. To your point, you were saying earlier, knowing what you want. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's the case with goals as well. And so it's really, it could, we've had this conversation and it was funny because yeah, it could vary. She goes, at times that I felt like, is he not committing like to the yeah. goals that he says? Is he being flaky yeah. or something? And I'm like, oh, I totally get you. I told her, look, I think that of myself sometimes <laughs> because I'm going through it. Yeah. I absolutely think it too. Mm-hmm. But then I try to give myself some credit and say, wait a minute, this is a process. It's a process to get to the one that matters. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it, relationships and reinvention, I think, are two very interesting things to happen at the same time, but they can. And I think that's the most important thing. And hearing your story, you know, how you were like right in the middle of a holy crap. You, I mean, you had just in many ways felt like you had just been completely destroyed on some mm-hmm. level. I'm destroyed now. So who would think that this is nowhere near the moment to possibly meet the person who might later become someone in my life? But you took action. You enrolled in this program in the mountains and this retreat. Mm-hmm. And that retreat ended up putting you in front of somebody. So you never know, right? You've yeah. got to stay open to these things because I think it's possible. I think there's also, and, and tell me what you think about this, but I feel like there's something really special about getting to know someone in these moments. Yep. When they're going, what do you think about that? I think it's really unique because like I think about myself when I met my husband and like I was literally like, I don't want to date anyone. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do anything. I'm just here to do my job. And if I end up making like two friends, I'll be fine. It'll be great. Because like at the time I was, I was like 23. I was struggling to make friends outside of softball because shocker Mm -hmm. when you have all your friends given to you because you spend 40 some hours together every single week. And then suddenly you don't have that activity anymore. It's, it's really hard to make friends. So I was really just struggling on all ends with just relationships. And so when literally I remember meeting my husband and being like, who are you and where did you come from? And what are you like, 
why are you like, why are you talking to me? I'm a mess. I don't know what, I don't know where I'm going to be in two months. And he was like, I don't either. It'll be cool. Let's just see how this goes. And we were very close friends for about a year. And then a year later, I was like, I think I really understand what I'm doing and who I am. Do you understand who you are and what you're doing? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh, that's really cool. Let's, let's see what we could, you want to try this thing? And he was like, we'll see it. And it was a, just a really unique and really cool setting to just be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing it. I just know that there's more meant for me and I'm trying to figure out what I am. And he was like, same. So let's see. And so we did it together and really just tried to understand what makes both of us happy and how we communicate. And I think it could have gone many different ways. And I will tell you, marriage was not one of the things that I thought, but here we are. And I'm so blessed to have him. So it's great. I love that. I love what you said about the early on, like, dude, I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's neither do I. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's like, so, so why not just become friends anyway? Yeah. <laughs> While we like, all figure it out. He's like, we can figure and, it out, like whatever way you want. We don't have to do it together, but I'll do it alongside you. And I was like, wow. Okay. Go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Sure. After all, you did say you had space for two friends. So he's like, I'll, I'll take one of those spots, please. Uh, I can do that. 100%. Yeah, you did say two. So he's like, I'll, I'll, I can commit to one of those spots. Mm-hmm. I won't commit to both, but I'll commit to one. Yeah. No, but I, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that there's, you know, I'm sure that both of you going through your own journeys, mm-hmm. but as friends, you got to see how you, how you work through things mm-hmm. in your life. I think that's the, beautiful part of it yeah. it's it's I, I feel like because of the ways we think of first dates that we have to have mm-hmm. all of our stuff figured out mm-hmm. it makes us feel like I can't show you the behind the scenes of what my life is and I can't yeah. let you into that because then you wouldn't want me and yet I think that what we're talking about here is how seeing that, I feel mm-hmm. like for me, at least it has played a massive role in appreciating my exes and my current mm-hmm. and my wife, like in a different way, like mm-hmm. in a more special and powerful way where I'm like, wow, I love how you work through that stuff. And I love being a part now of how you work through that stuff, yeah. being a partner on yeah. that journey. And I love that she's a partner on mine, helping me mm-hmm. go through these moments as I reinvent myself different times. She's been through a few of those reinventions with me. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to have her support and all of that. And so I feel maybe reinvention is like the best time to do the to build a relationship. Yeah, because someone what's that Marilyn Monroe quote that the thing is, what is it like, uh, if you don't, if you can't handle me at yeah. my worst, you don't deserve worst, me at my best or something best. along those yeah. lines. You don't deserve me at my best. Yeah. Or something like that. So along those lines, right? Like it, it's not saying you don't, des- I'm not trying to take it to that level, but yeah. I'm trying to say that it, it, like, I want you to be there for those moments. Mm-hmm. I want you to appreciate yeah. how I am when I'm up against it, when I'm yeah. under pressure, when I'm stressed mm-hmm. and all of that. And then on top of it, to have you as a partner to maybe help me navigate some of those moments, that's even better. Yeah. But if you've seen me through that, like I almost appreciate that, like that yeah. you've you know me, me in those moments, mm-hmm. and you still appreciate me in those in or out of those moments, because life will not be life will have its moments and its challenges. And because of that, we're going to have to go through this together. And so I feel yeah. like we're better prepared because of that, because we've been through those moments together. And we've seen each other reinventing ourselves and doing different things and growing in different directions. Yeah, I didn't expect to 
to go so deep into this one, but I appreciate it. Like, I appreciate you rolling with this yeah. and sharing so much. Let's talk about, let's talk about a reinvention, one of your mm-hmm. reinventions. You know, there's one in particular, obviously, that when we had our prep call that we talked about, break it down for us. Tell us the story. Tell us the before, during, after. Give us the story. I've teased the after quite a bit. So yes, <laughs> I'll you, give, you have. I'll give everybody some context into So when I were, I'm going to talk about my retirement from softball. And when I retired from softball, I was not at all in a space where like I understood what I was losing, if that makes sense. So I didn't know what grief I was going to experience. I had no idea that basically the carpet was going to be ripped out from underneath me. So I retired. I moved to Australia to do a student teaching placement. I lived there. Um, didn't really think about softball at all because I lived at the beach. Like who would think about that stuff then? Like you're not going to experience any of that. I came back, my ex experienced his accident. And it was like at that moment that I realized like I didn't know what or who I was, but I was in such a big effort of trying to define myself around him that like I was just I was trying so hard to understand who and what I was, but I just thought that it was so contingent on other people and what they thought I should do and how I should do it. And so when he and I broke up, I spent two years just trying so hard to redefine myself. And so I had to really unpack the grief that I felt around losing myself as an athlete. I had to mourn myself as a softball collegiate athlete. And that was huge for me because I used to introduce myself and I used to say, hi, my name's Kelsey. I play softball. And that was the number one biggest thing that I did. I spent 21 years in bullpens, in hitting lessons, in going, traveling like all of the East Coast to become a softball player and become what I wanted to be. And when yeah. that that light at the end of the tunnel wasn't there anymore, I had to really find any form of light that I could. And so mm-hmm. I realized I didn't have many friends like I've sp- spoken about before. I didn't have a lot of friends because I was living and doing my master's program in my college town, which was only exasperated even more, this identity crisis that I had, because the girls that I had played with were all off playing and I wasn't. And so I was going to grad school. I was working. I was doing all of those things. And like transitioning into the quote unquote real world was really difficult for me. And so once I went to summer camp and met my husband and we were really close friends, I started to develop both a routine and a schedule that wasn't contingent on anyone else. So I needed to start making a schedule for myself. I needed to do all this stuff along with doing a lot of therapy and some other stuff. And so it was really hard for me because the number one thing that would help my mental health, I thought, was going out and throwing a softball or doing any or playing a game or doing any of that. And I didn't have access to that anymore. So understanding that was really essential to me because I then started a whole journey where I started going to the gym without the goal of anything to do with softball. And that was the first time 
that I had spent doing that. Um, so for those two years, I spent a lot of time just trying to understand what made me happy, what gave me a sense of achievement, what was my interest, what did I like, <laughs> and how did that look for me? And so yeah. after I had done that work, I really started to really process the grief that I felt. And so I started writing letters to myself as an athlete, telling her it's okay that you never made it to that end goal that you thought you would because you are now a person that helps many girls do this and stuff like that. So I was like very much trying to just take that like athlete mentality away and separate it from myself because I'm still an athlete and I still am very passionate about softball. I'm still very passionate about collegiate athletes and all of that. I'm just not an essential part of that. I'm just not in that same vein and understanding that was my mission of two years. So that's my big reinvention. That I, there's the cool part about this story for our listeners is that what you described as well is, I think, one of the challenges of reinvention, which is the change in identity. Yeah. Going from one identity to another, which is what led what you're talking about here. And and in your case, it became the focal point of your reinvention. It became mm-hmm. the, the theme, the mission now to help others as they yeah. go through this shift in identity, as they say goodbye to one identity and mm-hmm. hopefully give way to a new one. And this, I think, is a massive idea. I think about when I left teaching. That was hard. Mm -hmm. I had identified as a teacher for so long, and I feel like it's part of my DNA even. But now the official title was gone. The official role was gone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, this feels really weird. And there were, and, and it's also not even the like necessarily something as that that you deeply you feel as deeply as I felt teaching. It could mm-hmm. just be like transitioning from one role to another. From yep. hey, I'm leaving my career in marketing to pursue a career in I don't know whatever engineering. Yep. And saying goodbye to your marketing career to say hello to engineering. What you're talking about is there's something there that mm-hmm. needs to be addressed, and it will and it won't necessarily be easy. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's part of the journey is making that shift and and saying goodbye to things, I think, is another thing that I, I have at least learned on my journey that has been really important, knowing that you can say goodbye to something and that it's okay. And sometimes you're leaving things on good terms, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I didn't hate it. You yeah. didn't leave. It sounds like you never left softball because you hated it. Yeah. And so it's not like you had an issue with it or anything like that. I think sometimes it, we might think that it's easier when we hate something to walk Mm -hmm. away from it. And I think that's why sometimes it's easier to quit a job once you're fed up with everybody, once you're like pissed off at your manager and you can blame somebody and it's not because you chose it. Yeah. I don't, but I've learned that I, that's not the best way to say goodbye, that you're better off saying goodbye when actually things are great. Yep. As hard as that will be, because you're saying goodbye to something amazing and beautiful and great. It's, I feel like it's a healthier parting of ways I feel like it's easy to just say, oh, screw them, screw this, right? But I think that's a Band-Aid. I feel like that's going to come back because you're going to realize at some point that was a Band-Aid. And when that Band-Aid falls off, there's going to be something that you got to work through. And that's okay. Like It's totally okay. What are your thoughts on that? Because this is your jam now. This is like your topic. So there's a lot that goes into that. I think if you had asked me when I retired from softball, I would have told you, Number one, my body couldn't have done anything more. 
And I think that's something that I always resented that I had allowed myself to go down this path. But it's also with athletes, we, we've experienced this thing where we've trained our bodies to do all of these things. And then we suddenly become, I think about, I had a friend who was a swimmer and he used to eat no one's business crushing all the food and all this stuff. When he transitioned into the professional world, he was unable to, he didn't know how to feed himself because he had done a bunch of stuff. And he, I remember him talking to me and being like, it's so hard because I always didn't like the way I ate when I was a swimmer. But now that I'm not a swimmer, I want to figure out how to do all of this stuff. And he was like, I didn't like it then, but now I miss it now. And so I think that there's always when an ending comes to an end, there's always these feelings of resentment. But I think a lot of times you feel like it has to suck because you don't want to acknowledge that you feel grief about that. You want to just have that band-aid of it sucks because this place sucks or this career sucks or this sport sucks because you don't want to acknowledge that you don't really understand what your life's going to look like after that. And so it's easier to be caught up in that that like spiral of anger, resentment and everything else. And I definitely was. I was definitely a person who like I like I'm specializing in grief after athletics. I used to have a countdown of how long my season was until it came to an end. So I always had that countdown because I think a very large part of me didn't want to acknowledge that grief or even start to process that I was going to feel that. And so I think it's much easier for all of us to just hide behind that anger because we as a society don't understand or process grief after experiences. So that anger is much more accepted. And, oh yeah, that place sucked. I don't like it. It's much easier to understand than I really didn't know what it was. And then I was in it and I liked it and then it was okay. And then I feel like it got bad. And those conversations are not really happening as a whole. So it's hard to even have them like with your close friends or anything else. So you hide behind that anger and that I can't wait until it's over. I think that there's, we talked about this earlier. There's these really clever sayings like no, quitters never quit. Yeah. Right. And, or I'm sorry, winners never quit. Yeah. Quitters never quit. No, winners yeah. never quit and things like that. And so I wonder what role that plays as well mm -hmm. in some of, in arriving at anger as my solution. Cause yeah. anger covers me there. Yeah. Anger covers me there because the last thing I want to do is be the quitter yeah. or the loser in this situation. Yeah. So if I use anger as my way then or as my reason or whatever, then I'm covered there. 100%. But again, is that really what's happening? Yeah. And are we going to have to work through this one way or another yeah. at some point later? Yeah. Or does it drive us to maybe do the wrong thing thing? You yeah. know, because I, I and I'm and when I say wrong thing, I don't think that there's the next thing is has to be the perfect thing. Mm -hmm. You could still make mistakes and choose something that wasn't right for you as the mm -hmm. next thing, even if you do it perfectly or healthfully in a very healthy way or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you almost guarantee that you are about to run into a bad situation if you use anger because I, you're not going to be thinking as clearly. So you didn't process, I think, the, the grief from the last one. Yep, You're probably not prepared to move forward and look ahead and think about how you're going to really address the next chapter yep. in a way that is truly aligned with your values, your passions, your purpose, and yep. how you do that. So, so it, this is interesting because what you focus on, I feel like 
will maybe later, I don't want to project onto your career, but I do see that there are definitely things that people can learn Mm -hmm. who are going through their journey to reinvention, even if it's not athletes leaving their sport, but it could be anybody. It could be a teacher leaving Mm -hmm. the teaching profession. That's a tough one. You know, when I think about it, you know this because you're in the teaching world. Mm -hmm. This is a tough time for teachers. I left the classroom in 2016. So any number that wasn't 20, 2020, you're like, that was fine. (laughs) And even then it wasn't fine, right? Mm Because it was teachers were already feeling burnt out. They were already Mm -hmm. like not living life so large, if -hmm. you will. And then the pandemic comes and forget about it. Like now it's just let's crap all over teachers for real. Let's really put them through the grinder. And so when I looked at that, I just thought, I don't know how I would have handled it. And so when I think about teachers in this moment, that's like maybe the athlete Mm-hmm. having, I don't know, the injury that yeah. might end your career or yeah. you in your case, like where you felt like my body's just not going to, has no more left in it. And it's just, there's this other thing that it's not that you hate teaching or hate yeah. softball, or, but it's just like, this was forced upon you. And this moment of burnout, this mm-hmm. burnout in teaching was forced upon many teachers. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many of them went through a very similar experience because they had to pivot away from teaching yep. and they had to do that. And very quickly, I feel it on a profession that's really hard to do unless you have a support, a financial support network that can really help you transition. Mm -hmm. You're not talking, you're probably not, you don't probably have a lot saved up for, oh, I'm going to take a few months off to figure out the next thing. No, you're probably running to the next thing Mm -hmm. without even looking. It's just like a really tough thing. And I see this as an area. And I think that people who are teachers, and I say this only because I, having been one and having worked with others, you really wanted to do this. This was something that you really cared about. And you proved it by taking the type of punishment you took yeah. to even be in it this long, yeah. as long as you have been. And you've proven that this is something you love dearly. You obviously didn't, you weren't pursuing money. That's for sure. You were pursuing something else, something greater. You were mm-hmm. answering a call in your yeah. life that you felt that you wanted to answer. You answered it and it did not treat you so well at times. And I think that's the case in this country right now for a lot of teachers. That's got to be a hard breakup. Oh, yeah. That's a whole energetic death in itself. We could do a whole nother podcast on that if you want. Um, But I think for teachers specifically, like they, they experienced such a 180, right? So there were all those memes that went out at the beginning of the pandemic where they were like, you lied. My kid is not a pleasure to be in your class, right? And then at least in my area, we transitioned back into the buildings within two or three months for specific vulnerable populations. And when yeah. that happened, there was just this moment where the poor teachers that were in there were experiencing just such, they went through the ringer. And I think now, unfortunately, the county I work in alone has a tremendous amount of vacancies and watching. Yeah these really well, these educators who have done everything for the last 20 years that anyone has asked of them say, hey, this doesn't work for me uh, is really interesting and really unique. And I see them really processing that grief and those moments of saying, I just need to figure out like what I am without this career is really empowering. But it's also incredibly sad because like you said, I didn't I met my age requirements for softball. I didn't, that was it. That was the reason I was pushed out. 
And so there's there's just consequences beyond your control when it comes to careers like that. And it's just moments where you have to weigh the best solutions for you and your family and kind of choose that and make that kind of choice. Yeah. And it's tough because it's like we said, it's the breakup you didn't want. Yeah. And you, you know, you were like, I didn't want to break up with this, but I yeah. have to walk away from this mm-hmm. for whether it's because the rules dictate mm-hmm. so or because your body said so or because your mental health said so. Mm-hmm. And obviously, these are very valid reasons to listen to and do that. Let's talk a little bit about a the role of projects in, in maybe identifying a project. I, I talk a lot about the power of projects and how fundamental projects are to any reinvention. Can you tell us about a project that, that you engaged in? And by project, like an experiment, something you did for a short period of time, a side hustle, something mm-hmm. like that, that led to something greater, maybe a greater insight, a mm-hmm. reinvention, or maybe even brought you onto this path. Um, so my work with the retired athlete coach is something that kind of really is my current passion project. It's everything I want to do. Basically, I work with athletes who have retired from their organizations at whatever level. And we spend about six to three, three to six months working through those feelings. So we really unpack a lot of what we talked about and like the reinvention and everything, but this is the step right before that. So this is the processing. This is the realization that, you know, everything is going to change. And while it might be scary, it's really important to do this work because you'll be able to move into different aspects and different fields in a much easier way once you process your athletic identity coming to an end. That's one of my passion projects. My other one is my softball coaching business. And that one Mm -hmm. has just been influential and changing everything because it brought me into being a business owner. It brought me to some of my best friends are my coaching partners that I work with now. The man who brought me into the organization I work with is actually was the officiant at our wedding. So these people are very key to my current reality. And it's just so fun to be in a place where, you know, I it was how I got into softball coaching was just such a serendipitous moment. And to see what was reaped from that was is just incredible to sit back and reflect on. Let's talk about the the, the retired athlete coaching mm-hmm. and, and working with them. How did you kick that off? Tell me, let's talk about what was that action you took? Because you shared with us the action you took for the coaching. Yeah. You put out that, that picture and that mm-hmm. ad and you just said, let's see what happens. And something did happen. Yeah. And then you got into it. And obviously one thing leads to another and it becomes yeah. a thing. But it all started with this one action. So we can go back to that one action mm-hmm. that led to the first project, which now leads to the person who you're, whose organization you're working for is your, the officiant at your wedding. Like yeah. what a cool story, right? <laughs> How that continues to go. For this, for the retired athlete coaching project, passion project, how did that begin? That basically just began because alongside like doing like coaching softball, I was seeing how out of touch coaches were with their athletes that retired. So I was guilty of this. I was watching athletes exit the sport because I started coaching right around 2019. And when the pandemic hit, unfortunately, many athletes chose to step away from their sports because it was months off. They realized that they wanted to explore being a kid as opposed to having a full-time job. And so I was seeing that kind of come to 
a fruition in front of my eyes and alongside having a mentor. And I basically was like, so what if I just opened two businesses and one of them's for retired athletes? And what does that look like? And I actually just went through a rebrand. I used to actually just focus on the energetic death coach. So understanding what happens, how you define an experience coming to an end. So the retired athlete coach is in progress still, but the way it got started was that way. But then I also started a free one month of coaching with retired athletes and I worked with them for a month and literally I used to walk, I walked out of my office like a couple of weeks ago and I just looked at my whole family and I was like, that's what I want to do for my whole life. That is how I want to hold space for people. That is how I want to continue to change and move the needle in the athletic organization because there are so many things that are going on within athletics that like we need to have a better focus on and provide more support to athletes once they exit because we provide them. Think about professional athletes and how much support they get. They get mental health support. They get support to get to where they need to go. People drive them places. And then suddenly one day the organization is, hey, it's a no from us. Sorry, bye. And then you have to figure out if you don't want a car. There's so many logistics that go into that. And so I I think that... I'm really excited about the retired athlete coach. It's still just such in progress that I'm like actually genuinely still like thrilled that it's around. And I think honestly, one of the like true action steps is sitting here and we'll see how it all goes. (laughs) Yeah. I want to acknowledge that how we came to find each other. You created a profile on a Mm -hmm. platform where podcasters can meet hosts or guests. Hosts can meet guests. And when I read everything you put there, you only talked about this. Yeah. And then, of course, I had to go out and Google stalk you and find all this other stuff. And I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. And now hearing this story, I can really appreciate what you were doing there. This mm-hmm. is how you launch your project. That's your ad. Yeah. That's like when you put the picture up there, you decided, let me put this thing up there and at least talk about this thing with some people as yeah. I'm doing the work that I love doing. Yeah. And that's a step. That's an action. That's mm-hmm. a really big one to communicate and share this idea with others. And I'm so glad that you reached out to me because you saw the connection between reinvention and this. At the end of the day, it is reinvention. You're just focused on a very specific niche like market, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is like so perfect for this, needs this. Obviously, you understand the details, the depth of this challenge, and you can help them through that. And I think that I'm so glad that you did that. So yeah, that's another action you took. That, and I lift that up and I put that out there because I want listeners to know what the actions are. Like yeah. the everyday, like these are not massive actions. You didn't no, go and no, raise no. $100,000 from an investor to say, yeah. now I'll start. Like mm-hmm. you didn't say that. You said, let me do something. Let me take an action such as let me put my profile out there and get the word out this way, you know, as a way to find more people and, and get my message out there and let people know what I'm doing. So I, I, I think this is awesome. And I love mm-hmm. what you said about when you looked at your family and said, this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. Because that's the power of a project. A lot of times people are like, oh, I know what I want to do. And then I ask more questions about, tell me, how did you arrive at that? How do you arrive at that? And it's mostly in their minds at this point. It's a thought experiment they're running, which is, it's a good start. Yeah. But you really should test it out and just do a project. Don't apply for that job. Don't quit the other one and don't apply for a job in that thing. That's not the way to figure it out. There is a way more entry-level way of figuring it out, such as you have. But now you know. Now you're certain. You're like, 
There's no more uncertainty in my mind. There's no, oh, maybe I like this. Maybe I don't. No, you're like, no, I know I love this. And if whatever it takes to make this happen every day, I'll, I will be working towards that yeah. <laughs> for the next few years. Yeah, it's definitely messy action with just good timing. And I think if anyone yeah. could take anything away from my story as a whole, it's messy action definitely outweighs, you know, anything else. And you don't have to figure it all out. It's really hard mm-hmm. because you definitely want to and you want to see the bottom line and you want to I'm definitely a whole picture type of girl. So definitely just take those messy actions if you can because they are they'll pay off and honestly the worst case scenario that you think is going to happen it's it it doesn't really ever happen and I can tell you that as someone who has made significant messy action. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Messy action. I'll yeah. take that one away. Yeah. Let's, let's, I want to let you pick the next question. Okay. So the next question is about how something has impacted your journey or what role it plays or okay. however you want to define this. The question is, it's what's up to your choice is whether it's finances or mental health and mm-hmm. how that plays a role or impacts the journey to reinvention. Which one do you want to pick? I think I'll go with mental health for 500. There we go. Mental health for 500. So go for it. Tell us, how does, for you, how does mental health play a role? Has it played a role? What are your reflections on that as it relates to the journey to reinvention? So mental health is something I'm super passionate about. After my ex's accident, I was diagnosed with ADHD, and then I would later qualify as a PTSD. So I have, you know, a little bit of an alphabet behind me, and that's okay. It means that I need to just be very aware. And so my mental health was a huge part of my journey to reinvention because it really was a key focus in understanding what made me happy. And without those tools and without knowing and identifying what those things were, I wouldn't have been able to move forward to where I am. So having something to basically say, oh, I feel this way because of X or anything like that was really important to me to identify like the root cause of anything. And so what I did throughout my entire reinvention and still do is therapy. So I I went to a therapy specialist within my college town. And then when I moved to my current residence, I spent a lot of time researching and finding someone. So it was really important to me to just spend a lot of time just understanding my brain is really important to me because you only get one brain, one body. And understanding that was really important to me. Somebody told me uh, when I was in graduate school for psychology, Mm -hmm. I had to take some classes on counseling and therapy. And I remember, I think it was a professor who said, who here has a car? Who here takes their car to be serviced? Hands go up. How, who takes a car to be serviced one time, two mm-hmm. times, three times, and let's see how many. And then you see, wow, people take their car to be serviced a couple times a year or whatever that is. How many times have you seen a therapist or a counselor yeah. in the last year? Yeah. Nobody has one or two. Nothing's coming up. Yeah. And you believe you take better care of your car than you do your own mind? Yeah. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> he called I you never, up. <laughs> Wow. I never heard it put this way. Yeah. 
this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was the one who probably said I took care of my car the most. Mm -hmm. I was the one who did all the oil changes. I did all the scheduled maintenance. I did all of that. So I really appreciated this metaphor because I was like, damn. And yet I don't. And then I even thought that extended to my physical health. I'm like, I don't oh I back in those years I felt oh, I'm younger I'm fine I so I would skip some manual physicals like thinking like ah I'm good I feel good so I'm probably fine yeah and yet my own car that I drive all the time I would even though I knew it was fine I still say no let's take you get to get this checked up just in case there's something yeah. I'm missing out yeah. Yeah. what about me but it's a really important thing and so I I say this because you mentioned that your your way of taking care of your mental health is uh, through therapy Mm -hmm. and through having that be a regular presence, uh, it sounds like, in your life Mm -hmm. for the things that you need to address. And Mm -hmm. I think that's super powerful and and it's super important to make sure that we really recognize that. Mm -hmm. I I, I've used, I've gone to therapists or counselors or whatever mm-hmm. the official title might have been for that person or psychologist. I don't even remember, but I've gone to them during yeah the very difficult moments where, you know, even most recently when my mother passed away last year, I, I went as a, like a two, like a check-in. Yeah. I said, I'm not sure if this, if I'm okay with this or not, like if I'm doing okay yeah. with this or not. Because she asked, what is it that brings you here? Mm-hmm. And I told her what happened. And, and, she, and she said, what, how are you processing? What are you doing? And I would tell her what I was doing. And what can I do to help you? And mm-hmm. I said, I don't know, actually. But I'm here because I just want to make sure that I'm doing things in a good way and that maybe there isn't something that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to know because obviously I'm not going to see the blind spots, but mm-hmm. that's what someone else is good for. Someone else from the outside looking in can catch yeah. those blind spots. And it was even for that, I learned that, you know what, it's better to just check in and yeah. just be sure. Yeah. And I'm so glad and that I was able to do that. And by the way, in the process of having those conversations, we uncovered something else. Yeah. There was a, uh, there was an opportunity. It was something that I did want to address. And then the sessions pivoted Mm -hmm. for the remainder. So we actually wrapped up the grief part of it Mm -hmm. a little more quickly because she was like, it sounds like you have that under control. Bring that up anytime you want. We can always dedicate a session to that. Yeah. But I think there's something else we can pivot to. And we did. And so look at that. It's like going to the mechanic and saying, hey, can you check the wheel alignment? And then they discover that, hey, I check everything looks good there, but I saw something else that you might want to take care of. And that's what happened. And I'm glad I went. Yeah, I love that. I love that story because that's I just feel like it's you just never know what you're going to get. And having really good and really concise like coping mechanisms or things that you can like just always turn to are super important like for people who are going through reinvention but just humans as a whole uh, but yeah. I'm love that yeah it's I think it's really important and I think there's also opportunities for what are the everyday practices yeah to keep that I have some exercises I do in the morning mm-hmm. that play a massive role in that and I learned that when I took a break from that yep. whoa look what happened And it was a coach that pointed it out to me because I didn't even notice that connection that I had drifted away from doing this exercise for a period. Yep. And that's coincidentally or not, um, you know, when other things started to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, take hold of me and I go, oh, what's going on here? And so a coach was the one who caught that and Mm -hmm. said, you talk about this exercise that you did, but you refer to it in the past. What happened? 
And then I said, what happened? And she said, sounds like there's something here on timing that you might want to look into. Mm-hmm. And then she made it the way she said it was, think about it this way. She said, when you go to the gym and you'll appreciate this as an athlete, when you go to the gym to work out, whatever your goal is, right? When you mm-hmm. hit the goal, do you like cancel your gym subscription and just stop going altogether? Yep. No, I have to keep going. I got to maintain it. I want to stay at that level. Yeah. Okay. Then there you go. Then your mental health practices, the things you were doing, that doesn't stop either. <laughs> you got to maintain that. Just because you hit a level didn't mean that it was done. Mm-hmm. Checkbox, yeah. like you checked it off and it's done. It's not. There's going to be, you want to keep it strong, mm-hmm. just like other areas of your life. So Kelsey, thank you so much for your time today, for all of this, for this awesome conversation. I love where it went, yeah. which areas like just took off and a little bit more than others, but super insightful things. And especially, I just want to thank you for opening up so much about difficult moments. And I'm sure what were very difficult experiences when you were going through them. Mm-hmm. And you, you share that openly. And I think that's what makes these conversations really valuable. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.